Our sermon scripture comes from the gospel according to John, 10th chapter, 22nd through the 30th verse. I am reading from the New International Version. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Something I've been thinking about a lot, uh, and I guess it's because I'm constantly a student of leadership, and I watch how leadership operates, and those who I uh, think are great leaders, I pay attention to them. And something that I've learned in my uh, brief time on this earth uh, is about people following other people and those who choose to follow people no longer. Uh, something I've learned and something an adage that has become near and dear to me is that people do not quit jobs. They quit bosses. People do not leave the church. They leave the pastors. Or they don't leave the pastors. They leave a particular ministry or that ministry's leader. And it works the same way because pastors will step away from ministry because I guarantee there is a particular ministry leader or a particular church or a particular person in the church that gave them what was the last straw. It's about the people interacting with each other. There are people who will not join the church right now not because of Jesus, not because of the Bible, but because of the only representation in the church that they have, and that's the people. The people that they work with, the people that they go to school with, the people that they hang around with, the people that are in their neighborhoods, that is their representation of a Christian. You are always somebody's perception of something. So you are always somebody's perception of a Christian. They see you, they think that's how Christians are supposed to act. They see me, they think that's how pastors are supposed to act. It never stops. I'm in a particular group, and one of the things that the pastors were saying in this group, uh, they were upset that when someone found out that they were a pastor, they had a they wanted to have a conversation with them about different legislations and what does the Bible say about that. And uh, this person was upset because they just wanted to be off. 
They just wanted to take this plane ride from point A to point B and not be asked theological questions. But you are never really off. And not just never being off from being a pastor. You're never really off from being a Christian. Amen. You're never really off from being anything. You can't not be black. Right. You can't not be a man. You can't not be a woman. Who you are is who you are no matter where you go. And I wouldn't want it no other way because I wouldn't want my salvation to be off from time to time. I wouldn't want God's grace and mercy to be off from time to time. So you are never really off. And I'm thinking about this as I look at sheep and I look at shepherds. See, sheep were important to the Israelite culture. A herd of sheep provided milk and meat for the people. Their dung was used for fertilizer in the fields, for fuel, and their wool was used for clothing. The firstborn sheep was not allowed to be sheared because the firstborn sheep of the herd was for God. Sheep were also the focus of the law when you read Exodus and Deuteronomy and having a livestock of sheep, having a bunch of sheep was indicated of familial wealth because you had all of these resources together. Abel in the Bible was a keeper of sheep. So was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses was tending to the sheep when God appeared to him in the form of a burning bush and told him to remove your feet, to remove the shoes off your feet because you were stepping on holy ground. The Hebrew people when they were trying to find the, the promised land, had to become shepherds in the wilderness. Sheep are important. And when David was anointed to become king, they had to come get him because he was out in the field tending to the sheep. Uh, when the prophets thought a particular king or a ruler was being evil or, or, or not doing their job, they were considered an unfaithful shepherd. David penned that psalm that we all know so well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But Isaiah picked it up later. He said that God would feed his flock like a shepherd. He would gather them, the lambs, in his arms and carry them into his bosom. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said earlier in John that he was the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that's what we come to in the text because the people got a little bit confused about that. Some of them said he must have a demon in him. The other said, what kind of demon do you know is capable of opening the eyes of the blind? Have you not seen what he has done? That's not what demons do. Then we come to the place in your hearing and Jesus encounters some malice. Let the church say malice. Malice. Some people who have no good intentions for him. Uh, the, the, The text says that they gathered around him, but that's not really doing the text justice. What the author was trying to say in the Greek that didn't necessarily translate over to the English is that they surrounded him. 
Mm. Not only did they surround him, but they picked up stones. Mm. This was not a happy discussion that mm. they were about to have on the Solomon's colonnade, a.k.a. also known as a portico or the outer courts of the temple. Mm-hmm. They were there surrounding him, and I find it interesting that this is the place that they tried to surround him and trap him because this very place where they tried to surround him and trap him, when you read the book of Acts later on, that is where all the apostles will have their counsels. That is where a lot of decision-making will go on. So there's something special about this place. But we go to where he's at in the text, and he encounters some malice and some confusion. And they're confused because he's been talking to them for quite a long time. Uh, we read in the text, uh, like it reads like one chapter, but uh, uh, the gospel according to John chapter 7, uh, all the way up to verse 10, 21, is actually taking place during the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. And then verse 22 takes place during the Festival of Dedication. Uh, just to put that in, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is something that they did around September or October of each year using our calendar. And the Feast of Dedication, a.k.a. Hanukkah, took place in December. So approximately two months have passed between verse 21 and verse 22 because the gospel according to John, the author was not really concerned about chronological sense. He was concerned not about human time, but God's time. He wanted this to make theological sense, not chronological sense. So he goes from one conversation to the shepherd about shepherds and sheep into another conversation. But sheep were important. He's talking about sheep, and I find sheep kind of funny because I hear sheep being used as an insult. When you call someone, they, they, they often refer to people who don't believe, or, or pe people who do not believe, rather, call people who do believe or who they believe believe blindly sheep. And they use these kind of texts against us. You're a follower. You can't think for yourself. You're not concerned about anything other than some fairy tales. But that is not why they talked about sheep during this time. Yes, sheep can be obedient, but sheep can also be feisty. Hmm. If you've ever seen a baby lamb removed from a mother lamb, you will never call a sheep docile ever again. And they spoke on sheep not because they were followers, just because of that. It was more than that. They spoke on, Jesus spoke on sheep because that was what was ingrained in the community. Jesus spoke on sheep because that was what was real at the time. And, in, in this, uh, and I submit to you that in this, this text, we are not here just about being blind followers, but we're about being real. He talked about sheep because that is what everybody handled. Jesus talked about sheep because that was a way of life. What are we doing now that is a way of life besides sitting inside four walls and expecting the people to come? Mm. All right. Pastors included, myself included. 
I heard one person say, if your religion is not impacting the community that you're involved in, I submit to you that you're not actually worshiping the true religion of Jesus. Mm. Jesus went out amongst the people. He talked amongst the people. He talked about what they wanted to talk about. He did some of the things that they were doing. He went out to the people. It doesn't say that Jesus went to the synagogue, sang a great song, preached a good sermon, Mm -hmm. and then the people just flooded in. It doesn't say in Acts that the, the apostles went out and got on tour and did this great thing and the people joined. No, they went out to the people. The church is more than just what we do on Sunday. Amen. The church is more than a sermon that is preached. More people will join a church based on the people and how they treat other people than they will no matter how good or how bad the pastor preaches. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean the pastor ain't supposed to study. Mm. That don't mean that the pastor ain't supposed to preach the word, but we ought to evangelize says to go forth and make disciples not wait for the disciples to come to you so the sheep is about the realness about touching the people about meeting them where they are not just about us following blindly and so they surround him they're tired of these parables they say tell us plainly with stones in their hands ready to throw. They want to catch Jesus up by getting him to admit to it directly. They are revisiting a controversy that happened earlier in John 5. See, even though the people were looking for a Messiah, they didn't necessarily want a real Mm. Messiah. All right. You don't want anybody to claim that you're a Messiah because to say that you're the Savior to them would have been blasphemy. And I always get confused and not only confused but frustrated about this because I see this happen in other scenarios. They stand around these people, save us, save us, save us. But when somebody tells them what they need to do to be saved, stone him. Hmm. You see, we want the church to grow, but we don't want to get out in the community to do it. And we will stone the people that say that. We want, I tell on myself, we want to lose the weight, but we won't put the double quarter pounder with cheese down and go to the gym. And I dare you to, I mean, I dare you to tell somebody else that. Um, Yeah. We want the financial breakthrough, but we don't want to spend less money than we make. Sometimes it's rough. And so here you have these people here talking about we're looking for a Messiah, but they don't want to give up the status quo. Uh The status quo is comfortable. I like sitting on the couch. I like the way my church is. I like not going to the gym. I like spending money on other things. I like it. And for somebody to come tell me to change that, That means you are negating all of the decisions I've made to get there. You're negating my tradition. 
you're negating my decision making. You're negating what I've done. And if you're telling me that what I've done is wrong, I don't want to hear it. But if you always do the same thing, you will always get the same thing. One definition they say of, of insanity is to repeat the same action over and over again, expecting a different result. Hmm. My Lord. So here you have this man. They said they wanted a Messiah. But here you have this man telling them that all of these laws really boil down to two things, to love God and to love people. I didn't want to hear that. I wanted you to validate my hierarchy. Hmm. I wanted you to validate, validate rather everything that I've done thus far and just tell me to keep doing what I'm doing and I'll get there eventually. Right. Not about work. Not about change. I'm not about love. And so he says that he's already told them and have you not seen him open up the blinded eyes and heal the sick? and raise the dead, and, de and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He's done it, but nobody listened, because that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted the validation of the status quo. They weren't about change. They weren't about moving to a new field. They weren't about doing any new work. They wanted what they did so far to be the right path to promotion. And sometimes what you do is the right path to promotion, but sometimes what you do is not the right path to promotion. And so they wanted a Savior, but they didn't really care what the Savior had to say when he got there. Mm. So they said it was blasphemy to say that you were the Messiah, to say that you were the only begotten Son of God, to say that you were one with God or equal with God. How dare you? Mm. But what was the Messiah supposed to do? They were looking for a militaristic savior at some point. Someone that could come in with guns and, and free them, or not guns, but come in with war and free them from their oppressors. And here he comes with his spiritual freedom. So the situation was a bit of a catch-22. They want the savior, but they don't want him disrespecting their current system. But if the current system was working, there would have been no need for a savior. So it disturbs the status quo. And when change comes, that's why we fight it so much. Because where we're at is comfortable. And we're not moving unless there's a fire up under us. We're not moving until what we have goes bad instead of looking on the horizon to see what's coming down the way. To change now sometimes is an insult to the decisions that we made, and no one really wants to do that. So we can say that we want change, but not actually do what it takes to change. Just like they can say that they wanted the Messiah, but when the Messiah comes, he comes to change what they had. He came to break up what they had and give them something new. So Jesus identifies his sheep in the text. And sometimes you have to identify things by what they're not. He says in the text that you all are not the sheep. 
My sheep listen to me. They know my voice. I know them and they follow me. We're never really off the clock on anything we do. And so that's why some of the times people are shocked at who they find out are Christians. Because Christians are those who are supposed to follow Christ. And if you're following Christ, you would do what he says. And how do you know to do what Christ says? Well, it's been written down. Best-selling book of all time. You have to spend time with him in prayer and meditation and reading and reading again and reading again and reading it more. I don't understand how it is that there are people who do not believe in God, do not want anything to do with Jesus, but will sit down and read a Bible cover to cover once a year, every year. But we sometimes as a people only open our Bibles once a week. And depending on where you go, sometimes they put the scripture in the bulletin already or they put it on the screen and so you don't need to bring a Bible at all. I recall talking to one of my friends. He was uh, looking for a new church to go to and he's now in the ministry himself. But uh, he went to visit a particular church and he went to their Bible study, if you want to call it that. And I asked, well, how was it? And he said that I could have taken my Bible and set it on my armrest to prop my elbow up because we didn't go to it once. We're out here not getting into the Bible because we think that the Bible is offensive. And we're practicing tolerance. Meanwhile, I don't see anybody else practicing that same level of tolerance. If you have a problem, the problem is not with me, it's with the Bible. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we ought to do. So he identifies his sheep. He knows who's in his group because they listen to what he does. They listen to what he says. They do what he says to do. Those are his sheep. And these sheep are not just about being obedient, but having a real impact in the community around them. It's not just about quoting scriptures. It's about taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. The book of James says that pure and undefiled religion is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans. We as Christians are supposed to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, bind up the wounds of the afflicted. It's not just about jumping around and saying Jesus. All right. You get in there and you take care of the people. I mean, we talk about salvation, but it's a lot more than just our salvation. When, the, when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand, it didn't mean it was coming. It meant it was within arm's reach. Some of the things that you did day-to-day basis could help bring about the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he identified his sheep. 
His sheep are those who know his voice, those that listen to him. I know a practical example of something I've learned. Like I said, I'm a student of leadership. And something that I found interesting is it said that uh, it was a study done at 65, or not 65, but uh, they polled executives of Fortune 500 companies and, and, and looked at what the most, the most successful executives did and the, the most unsuccessful executives did. And the people who were doing this, one thing that they learned was that those who were successful did about 65% more listening than they did talking. Okay. They let somebody else tell them what was going on, and then they made a decision as opposed to coming in and telling people what was going on and making their own decision. They listened. So if I want to be an executive in my own right, I need to listen. Spend more time listening to what's going on before I make that decision, and who better to listen to than God? That's the best consultant you could ever have. That's the best psychologist you can ever have. I'm a strong proponent of mental health. Don't get me wrong, so I'm not one to tell you you don't need those kind of things, but I'm saying you ought to spend some time with God as well. Listen. Identify his voice. And then he, after he identified his sheep and told them who his sheep were because they listened and what they did, he then said that his sheep would not perish and that they were eternally secure. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Goes on to say in Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. They're eternally secure. And no one can snatch him out of our hands. If you want to get up out of his hands, you have to go on your own, but ain't nobody taking you. Mm. For I am persuaded, neither death nor life nor things present nor things to come. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Mm -hmm. They're eternally secure. And if you're in Jesus' hands, you're in God's hands. And not only are the sheep identified, and not only are they eternally secure, but he says that he and the Father are one. Now, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on later, down, later on in John 1, right about around 14, and says that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. That's what Jesus did. He's the Word of God incarnate. He came down and dwelled among us, and he and the Father are one. Uh, it says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas had the nerve to ask, mm. Lord, how do we know where you are going, and how can we know the way? 
And Jesus had to clear it up for him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. If you had known me, you'd known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So God and Jesus are one. You want access to God, you don't have to go through Jesus. Because he paved the way for us. He gave his life on Calvary. He paid our ransom with his blood. He took a beating so that we wouldn't have to. He got mocked so that we wouldn't have to. He carried a cross all the way to Golgotha so that we wouldn't have to. And they mocked him with a crown of thorns. Put a sign over his head and said, here lies Jesus, king of the Jews. And then he died for us so that we wouldn't have to. But that's not where the story ends. Three days later, he rose again with all power in his hands so that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.